Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode, number 63, in which we'll be talking about the uh, best picture for the year 1983, James L. Brooks's Terms of Endearment. But before we jump into that, I will welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Oh, I, that was a long pause. I wasn't you know sure. what? It, oh, I hate to say it. Oh, how, un- how uncomfortable at this point. That could mean a number of things. But when it comes to these mini-sodes, it's either me alone or you. And me. Sorry. (laughs) I misspoke. All right. Welcome, Josh. Hi. All right. Now, as of right now, I'm not exactly sure. This will be going up probably mid-May. Okay. So you're going to be in Texas? Yes, probably. Maybe in North Carolina. But I'll be in one of those places. Oh, my gosh. Uh, And and you'll be working on a film. What's the film? Or can Uh, you... Are you allowed to say? uh, I don't know how much I can say, but I'll be... uh, it's, It's a... Kind of a kids' fantasy film in the in the vein of like a where the wild things are. That's all nice. I'll say for now. All right. And, um, I have to assume it'll be. Every, I, is, is Spike Jones directing it? Uh, he's not. Oh, no. okay. But the person who designed the costumes for uh, that movie is designing a costume for us. Nice. So, I know. That's pretty good. That's pretty cool. So uh, I'll be. I will be happy to talk more about that once it's in the can and everything to promote it. But uh, until uh, then, do you have a title? It. Can you say a title? I not. do have a title. I don't know if I can say it or okay. not. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. Listeners, email Josh at morethanonelesson.com and you tell him what you think the title should be. <laughs> so, Josh, and you're welcome will, in advance. I will uh, send all those right on to the producer and yeah. see if we can get it changed. And he would be like, hey, thanks for sending these. You're fired. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't think we're calling our movie Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> uh, somebody just suggested The Godfather. <laughs> I think it's taken. It's like that. This I mean, other guy suggested Mario Puzo's The Godfather. <laughs> Again, it doesn't make much sense. Uh, but that's a that's a best picture winner of another day. Uh, today we are talking about Terms of Endearment, uh, best picture winner of 1983. Now I rewatched this yesterday. Uh, when is the last? And I think before that I'd only seen it once before, several years ago. Uh, when is the last time you saw it? I believe I saw it when I was in college. Okay. Uh, do you feel like you have a pretty good memory for it? Uh, decent. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I think maybe, you know, d- doing these best picture things has caused me to sort of th- think more in depth about a number of things. One is, why do some movies st- stick with me and others don't? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think for me, character stuff will stick with me more. If there are characters that I that I feel like I know that are very strong, mm, uh, you can identify with in some way. Yeah, I feel like I will remember those because, in a way, and this is going to sound super hokey, because in the same way that you remember your friends, but like, mm. like you'll remember people that you know sometimes more than the events or the circumstances under which you know them. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like it's it's like that in terms of endearment certainly falls under that. Um, this definitely it has such a such an odd quality to it, uh, based on the book by Larry McMurtry, um, who it's weird his name pops up a lot. Wasn't uh, there another one we did recently that was a best picture based on something he wrote? Possibly I don't know I don't remember his name pops up a whole lot. It turns out he wrote a lot of books that were turned into movies. Yeah I know and never the ones I thought they were going to be. Like, my grandpa read a lot of, of Larry McMurtry, and I don't think he read Terms of Endearment, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, 
there's a very specific to me i always thought of mcmurtry as a guy who wrote like about like rugged guys in the west and stuff like lone, did he do lonesome dove Is that i him? think he did lonesome dove yeah. it's very strange and so um but yeah terms of endearment it has a nice it makes sense in a lot of ways that james l brooks is the director because yeah i think of his name as someone who has made admittedly a number of really great movies in the 80s yeah but also often the executive producer or the creator of tv shows mm. like um, the simpsons is the first thing yeah. that i remember him from and so i think he's comfortable working with an ensemble within an ensemble and really developing relationships and developing character types and that sort of thing and so uh, and because this has to do with a family I think the relationships are very clearly defined, and I think you do get a really strong sense of of community, even if these characters are angry with angry with each other. Um, but yeah, so the film won a number of Oscars. It was nominated for eleven. Wasn't it, it was nominated. Well, yeah, sorry, it won the Oscars that one would assume for a movie like this. Right, but the the nominations are what threw me. So it won Best Picture, Director, Actress, Supporting Actor, and Adapted Screenplay. It was it was nominated for somebody else in actress, somebody else in supporting actor, art direction, sound, editing, and score. Now I've I you know I remember the score and it's and it's perfectly fine. Nothing about this movie. I don't mean to I don't mean to crap on. It. I think Terms of Endearment is a great film. Mm-hmm. I really really enjoy it. So when I talk about its use of sound and, and editing and art direction, um, and the art direction, I'll even give that one something of a pass because the film takes place over about. 15 to 20 years that's true yeah so that's a lot of different eras that you need to depict um but sound and editing i don't see that at all it's it's i don't know well sound i don't know i was gonna say sound sometimes goes to uh to more um it can go to drums it's not it's not always relegated to uh to action movies or, or something like that but the only times i can think of that happening in recent history are ones where they're like uh I don't. I don't know if it won, but uh, what's the Oscar Isaac one? Uh, Inside Lewin Davis was at least nominated for sound. I don't know if it won either sound or sound mixing, sound editing or sound mixing because yeah. they, they split those up in right. later years. Yeah, that was that was one. But, but even that then, was like, like that's music. music, right? So there was a lot of that too. And I, yeah, Robert some, Altman films often got nominated for sound because you've got the overlapping dialogue, right. large groups of people. Maybe yeah. that's. The idea here is... Yeah, maybe some of that happened here. I, I honestly don't know. I, there aren't a whole lot of scenes with tons of people, like not, not to the degree of like MASH or something. Yeah, but, not really. It's certainly not Gosford Park. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very strange. I don't understand. But rather talk about the, the, the nominations that it did get that we didn't understand. Uh, I'll talk about some of the, uh, the specifics of the film. So it won Best Picture, Director, Actress for Shirley MacLaine. It was nomi- uh, Deborah Winger was also nominated for Actress. Uh, and it's so interesting... Uh, there definitely are two lead actresses, uh, or two lead female characters in this mm-hmm, film. Yeah. Each of them, uh, have a part to play. And I think that is a rare thing, um, that you have these two women in, in very different types of roles. It's a mother and daughter. The mother is very overbearing, but you know, there's, there's love there. The mm-hmm. daughter is a little bit neurotic, but also very independent, but and the relationship between mother and daughter, I think since then, since the first time I saw it, I think I have met more, uh, more specifically women who have a very specific relationship with their mother. Hmm. And I think I have a much deeper appreciation for that now. Um, yeah, I could, I could see that. 
and it comes through like now it feels like the height of realism mm-hmm. i think years ago when i first saw it i don't think i was married i don't think i was i witnessed like my own wife's relationship with her mother um not that it's necessarily like this but i it, there is definitely a very specific kind of relationship that can come about yeah. and so i think i thought like why is this daughter talking to this mom so much she's so overbearing and all that it's a very strange dynamic but one that feels completely real mm-hmm. because of both actresses um, and I do think that is that, uh, I mean, there, there was a documentary called searching for Deborah Winger, uh, because, and I think it, it I never saw, it, but from what I, I, it sounds like it was kind of using her and how little she acted, uh, after the 1980s, mm-hmm. um, and probably like early nineties. Um, yeah, we're, to, we're, we were talking about somebody else recently, another actress who, was kind of just kind of disappeared. 80s. Yeah. Oh, I and I don't remember. Yeah. I never remember these things. Once we, was, once once I hit stop on recording, <laughs> it all goes it's away. All gone because the computer will remember it for me. Right. Um. And so, uh. But yeah, Deborah Winger. It was like a great actress. And so, I mean, this is going to sound strange, but I but hopefully listeners will understand that this is high praise. She's so present in every film that I've seen her in, which unfortunately is not very many, but um, whether it be Terms of Endearment or like Shadowlands, for which she also got an Oscar nomination. She's not in Body Heat, is she? Who's, who's the I think it was Kathleen that, Turner. That, Maybe that's, that that's, might be the one. <laughs> that's the 80s one. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, uh, but then she was also in Rachel Getting Married. She played a... Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, she played a mother in, the, in, yeah. in that. And no matter what she is in, she's so present that she reminds me of... Uh, the only person I can think of is Jenna Rollins. But, and maybe that's because oh. I think of Jenna Rollins in the Cassavetes style. Right. But she, she did so well within it in, like, you know, Faces and uh, Opening Night and Women Under the Influence and that kind of thing. Um, that... It's weird. Like there's just, again, she's so present and so naturalistic. It makes you feel like everybody else is acting. Everyone looks artificial compared to her. Mm -hmm. And that's, and this is a film that definitely got me more aware of that. Again, I, I already saw it, but I don't think I remembered much about her performance, but now I just, it's amazing. It's because I, I don't think, I don't think James L. Brooks wrote it with her in mind. Uh, maybe he did, I don't know, but whatever, she pulled it off tremendously just as she pulls off various eras, various types of characters. I can't speak enough about how good she is. And honestly, I'd probably swap out the win and the nomination. I think I'd probably get, if it were up to me, I would have given her the win and Shirley MacLaine the nomination. Hmm. Um, but I think it was a situation where it was kind of Shirley MacLaine's turn and, and that's, ah, yes. so, um, but yeah, the the relationships uh, th- that central relationship is sort of what the movie's based on. Um but then there's any number of other relationships. There's Deborah Winger and his and her relationship with her husband, uh played by Jeff Daniels. There's Shirley McLean Flap. His name is Flap Horton. <laughs> now that does sound like a like a Larry McMurtry type of uh type of name. Do they do they I don't remember. Do they say anything in the movie about whether that's his nickname or whether that's his given name? They don't. I assume it's his nickname, but no one ever makes reference to it. (laughs) His name could just be Flap. So, um, but then the relationship between Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson, I think, is interesting. The one with Deborah Winger and John Lithgow as the guy she's having an affair with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of interesting stuff going on there. And, and, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, 
a, a, a modern filmmaker who makes movies like this with relationships like this. And the one that I can think of is Tom McCarthy. I was going to say Tom McCarthy. I can like, see that. This feels like win-win a yeah. little bit yeah. or the visitor. It's yeah. And so, um, and of course I love his movies. And so looking back at terms of endearment, it's like, Oh, what a what a wonderful little film! I, I but it's not even that little. It's again, it spans yeah, over it spans years. a lot of time. Um, but yeah, so I've been talking a lot about it because I just saw it, and it's hard to even know where to start with a movie like this because it's not a traditional narrative. There's not a beginning, yeah. middle, and end. It's there's just about, kind of a lot of yeah. little plots going on there. I mean, obviously, there's over- overarching things, but mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, like you were talking about, there's so many different relations, and each relationship is almost its own little story. Yeah. Um, but I like the way they do that. And, and I feel like that also gives each of the characters a chance to kind of be somebody rather yeah. than be an accessory to the main characters. Absolutely. World. Which as you know, is one of my least favorite things. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so, I mean, I can go into more detail about specific performances and such and specific characters. Um, but, uh, you know, did was there anything that you specifically wanted to talk about in regards to the film? What you liked, what you didn't like, that sort of thing. I mean, there is one big thing I didn't like, but I'll get to that in a moment. I I do not remember particular anything that I didn't like, but I'll I'll see what I think when you bring up that. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me the most was the relationship between Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger, and that's you know that's the central part yeah. of the story. But that's that's the thing that always sticks out. Like I remember them in the hospital. I remember yeah. like. There's one big scene where they like cry in the hospital together, right? Am I? Yeah, I mean it's more Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Deborah Winger's character has a great deal of strength, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, like, I can still remember things about that scene. And um, as much as Jack Nicholson is kind of a smaller character in the film, mm-hmm. he, I, you know, I don't know. I think we've talked about this before, but he just has this strange charisma about him, and it's kind of hard to forget about him he's a guy who i think as time has gone on people think of him as uh, a guy who is very much an actor very much a movie star but when you look especially i mean this is not necessarily early in his career but it's earlier yeah um and so when you look at him in this and stuff like you know five easy pieces and chinatown and all that he not unlike Deborah Winger, but maybe not to that extent. But he is also very present uh, in scenes, oh, yeah. and he's a he's a guy who it's easy to forget that he's an actor because he has such a distinct look to him and such a dis- distinct on screen presence that yeah. you forget that he's an actor. And then when you see him act, you're like, oh right, he's yeah. pretty great. Yeah, yeah, he is, and he's he's good in this one. And even like, you know, there there's a uh, there's a maybe bombast his character in this one because oh, he's sure. the, the you know the alcoholic and the yeah. uh astronaut right yeah. so there's kind of big elements of his personality there but uh it, it never feels it never felt to me like he was just using those big things to define the character yeah and there's and that's the thing is that's what i remember about the character i'm very happy i watched it again mm-hmm. because yes there are those moments but there's also not like nice quieter moments like there's the yeah. scene where he essentially breaks up with shirley mclean mm-hmm. and they're sitting in a gazebo and he's and that's the thing is he's a womanizer he's used to having this type of conversation uh but the way in which he has it um mm-hmm. 
he actually cares about this woman. That's why he's breaking up with her. Yeah. Because he feels like he's getting a little too close and he's feeling obligated and that sort of thing. Uh, but he knows that he's going to hurt her by saying this. And so you see like a lot of modulation to his performance there. And it's a really nice moment. And that goes back to that thing we were saying earlier that like any of these characters kind of has enough depth to them. that The whole, a whole movie could be about them. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, although I will say as much as I like Nicholson's performance and I do, um, so it was not two actors were nominated for supporting actor for it. Uh, mm-hmm. John Lithgow, who is also very good in the film, uh, and he's a guy who certainly we've come to think of as like this giant over actor, but right. seeing him as this very meek and mild guy who is married uh, to a woman who is not necessarily overbearing, but like she's had health problems and so he hasn't had sex in several years and all that. Yeah. And, uh, Isn't he in like a Woody Allen movie from around that same era, like late seventies, early eighties? Uh, I don't know exactly. Uh, at the time, I know that he was in the World According to Garp, which is not a Woody <laughs> Allen film. Um, oh. But uh, he was also in Santa Claus the movie, which I don't believe Woody Allen directed. Oh, well, you never know. Um, I he mean, might, I knew he, he cranked a, uh, cranked out one a year. Did he might have Alan Smithy though. There we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't remember exactly. But I bet he would actually do very well in a Woody Allen film. Yeah, certainly of the era. I'll have to look that up, I feel like. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. what I will say is that while both of them, I'd say, probably deserve their nominations, I think Jeff Daniels definitely deserved a nomination, and maybe even over these two, deserved mm-hmm. to win. Because there's... Because really? he's... Both characters, both Nicholson and Lithgow's characters, they do have a very specific quality to them that allows an actor to really dig in. Whereas Jeff Daniels' characters are much more relatable person he seems like a real guy uh not to imply the other ones don't but he seems like a very lived-in character and what i like is that um some of his attitude whether it be you know because he's something of it like he cheats on his wife and all that and he's a bit work driven and he's not super invested in raising the kids even though he does love them uh it'd be very easy to just write him off as a jerk and that's the end but he, first off, he's not written that way, but it, you could still play him that way no matter yeah. what. Uh, he could be what you're talking about. He's the one cheating on Deborah Winger and Shirley MacLaine hates him, so that's who he is. Right. But he there's but Jeff Daniels understands, no, there's more to him than this. He does love his wife, even right. though he's cheated on her. He's sad to lose her. Spoilers, everybody. Deborah Winger dies at the end. <laughs> um, he's sad to lose her, and he does love his kids. And like... And it's, there's this this conflict going on within him that I think any number of people can relate to. Uh, and so – and I think he pulls it off wonderfully. Jeff Daniels does have a, a certain quality to him. And in a way, this character is kind of a precursor to his character in The Squid and the Whale. Both of them are college professors. Oh, yeah. Um, That'd be an interesting compare and contrast. I forgot yeah. that that he was also a college professor because I love his performance in The Squid and the Whale, yeah. which is a movie I need to watch again because I I really liked it when I saw it and it's yeah, been a long it. time. Um, but yeah, so I thought he was he was really great. Um, but uh, I interrupted. You. I'm sorry. You were talking about like just other stuff that you responded to in the film. Um, I think those were the two main things I wanted to talk about okay. in terms of that. Uh, in terms of endearment. I w- what well, I will um I will actually use the Jeff Daniels character to get into what I actually didn't like. So he has an affair with his student. And Deborah Winger, you know, flies off the handle understandably so. But she's been having an affair as well. 
so her getting angry at him, do me wrong. She should be angry at him, mm-hmm. but not, but maybe not be so self-righteous. Mm-hmm. Now the character being self-righteous, I get it. Mm-hmm. People have blind spots in her own minds. Like, yes, yes. It di- but it's different when I do it because, yeah. you know, I'm lonely. This is in response to my husband not being so, so present and all that. Like that's an un- a thing that I understand. But I think the film endorses that. Really? Um, the film has no condemnation for her cheating on her husband. Hmm. Um, and, and I'm not saying that necessarily the fi- that every film has to uh, stick to my standard. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of movies that show that like a, a woman or a man having an affair is like the best thing for them because they're trapped in a loveless marriage or whatever. And while I don't necessarily agree, I, in the reality of the film, I understand. Whereas in this one, it's like, you know, you've gone so far out of your way to make Jeff Daniels into not a horrible character that, and to let him have sort of his day in court, at least emotionally, that I feel like, I feel like you're doing that character and just, and maybe the whole world of the film doing a disservice to act as though she is completely and a hundred percent justified in her self-righteousness. Hmm. Um, that's, a, that's a thing that bothered me a lot. I can see that. And speaking of Woody Allen, um, <laughs> that's, that's another thing that I think we see in a lot of his films that, that does bother me a little bit sometimes when it's, uh, it's almost like the filmmaker decides whose affairs are legitimate and whose are right. not. Cause that's a lot of, you know, a lot of these, of, of Woody Allen's films specifically are about people who are having tons of affairs, like a group yeah. of people, like uh, Hannah and her sisters or something like that. Yeah. Cause like everybody's having an affair in that movie. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's, I think is a, is a thing that tends to happen in movies sometimes where yeah. they want us to be on the side of a certain character. So they're, they're, uh, They'll justify that affair while not other affairs. And you know what? I can even understand it to a point because this is primarily uh, Emma's story and Aurora's story. That's mm-hmm. the mother and daughter. Yeah. Um, you know, it is their story, so it's going to be from their point of view. That's all well and good, except that's not the movie that's being made as far as screen time, as far as delving into other characters. Right. If it was, you know, like, okay... I, as we don't like eat, pray, love, but that's a story completely from her point of view. And so Mm -hmm. to that extent, (coughs) it's understandable that they would see that the film would insist that we see things from her point of view and not care that much about other people's. Now, I think that also is horrible, but it's it's at least more understandable. They understand who the lead is, whereas this is more ensemble. Also, that kind of allows us to, I feel like with that movie, I start applying the, uh, unreliable narrator mm-hmm. idea to it. I can just kind of put that on it myself and say like, well, this is all what she thinks. Right. So, uh, you know, I may not agree with the reality of this narrative, but whereas terms of endearment seems third person, it right. seems objective. And yeah. and so if it's subjectively saying that, that if, if, she, if it is objectively saying that, uh, she is somehow perfectly justified in having an affair. Cause look at, she's doing it with this nice man. Mm-hmm. Whereas this guy, Oh, he's preying on his student. Meanwhile, we see the student, she's older and well-spoken and is actually quite polite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. That's a thing that, that kind of bothered me at the time. Um, and I say when I say at the time, I guess I mean yesterday. Um, but but that's that's not a huge thing, and um, 
and by and large, the film is still really great. And so we'll move into kind of the, the next section of this. Uh, so the other Best Picture nominees were The Big Chill, The Dresser, The Right Stuff, and Tender Mercies. I have seen all of them. Um, which ones have you seen? The Big Chill. Okay. You would love Tender Mercies. I know. I need to see Tender Mercies and, I and think The you Right, love the right stuff. stuff. I really do need to see both of those. I feel like neither of those are in easy places. Like, they're not streaming anywhere right now. I own Tender Mercies. You can borrow well, my copy. There is that. Um, yeah, that's true. And The Dresser is a hard thing to find. But I don't know anything about that movie. You did theater. I think you'd love it. Really? It's got Albert Finney. It's got Tom Courtenay. And it's about um, this an aging actor on the stage who's doing quite possibly his last performance as King Lear. Hmm. And uh, and then it's about his relationship with his dresser, which is okay. played by Tom Courtenay, the guy who is sort Puts of his, his, his assistant yeah. and that sort of thing. And so uh, it's big and bombastic as Albert Finney can be, <laughs> uh, but it's also hilarious hmm. uh, in many ways. It's a really, really good movie. I like yeah, it. I don't know that one. And I think... Not unlike Topsy Turvy, I think anyone can enjoy it. But if you did theater in any capacity, I think you can have a specific appreciation. Oh, okay. for yeah, it. I can see that. Um, but yeah, uh, I like The Big Chill a lot. Terms of Endearment and The Big Chill feel similar uh, in yeah. that they're both ensemble films. Yeah. Um, the Right Stuff is really a special movie um, because it's it's a film about space exploration that that still has that. But but still feels very personal and very small. Like it very much focuses on it. It avoids spectacle. Hmm. Um, Two best picture nominees that year that have to deal with astronauts. That's true. And there's that scene in Tender Mercies where uh, his character drunkenly tries to build a spaceship. Oh, really? That's not true. <laughs> but um, he is drunk. Um, he could try. To, we don't know what he's trying to do. Maybe he was trying to build a spaceship. That's true. Uh, Duval does play his cards pretty close to the vest in that <laughs> film. Uh, Tender Mercies is a marvelous film. Yeah. I really, really love it. Um, I was actually very happy that it was that it's nominated because it is such a small quiet film it's it reminds me a lot of paris texas i feel like larry mcmurtry wrote that one too <laughs> it feels like he would but i think it was actually written by horton foot oh okay well that makes sense there too. you go <laughs> um but i might be wrong about that uh but yeah uh so i like all of these movies and if i were to give one of them best picture okay so between terms of endearment and the big chill which one would you give best picture to uh, probably Terms of Endearment. I actually okay. didn't love The Big Chill. It's a film that I think is so perfect to watch at a very specific time in your life. Probably college. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Maybe like college or age 55. <laughs> like I think, but we're in this weird, uh, or maybe like the year after you've graduated from college. Yeah. Um, and you know, that was a favorite film of both of my parents. And I think mm. it's because, and they, and they, they both said like, it's a movie that they don't love as much now as they did several years before mm. and uh and i think it was because it's it, it's very much capturing a certain time in these characters lives and it's so specific to that that i wonder if you're younger if you're older maybe you feel like you can't relate to it exactly yeah um maybe but uh i also like the way that that movie reminded me how much i love the song the weight so it's uh, well yeah i can't argue with that yeah um but also it's just yeah and that and that and of course the soundtrack everyone talked about how wonderful the soundtrack mm. is and it is great but it's the role that music plays in their lives and how this is something that because they're all of a certain generation and they're all a group of friends that they all love these songs yeah um yeah there's a there's a lot going on in that movie i like it a lot i don't love it i think it's it I think it's dated not insofar as it came out in 1983. I think it's dated insofar as I think I've grown out of it personally. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can see that. But, uh, 
but I think for myself, do you go tender mercies? I might go right uh, the right stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. But you know what? It's it it's probably a three way tie between terms of endearment, tender mercies, and the right stuff. <laughs> I mean, even though the dresser is also great. Don't you wish that was happening? Like. At the Oscars regularly, Just constantly. You, they, like you were like, there are four of these that I love. I'm really fine if any of them wins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be great. Um, I'm lucky if that happens on a season of Survivor. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I'm. I'm. It sounds like we're both fine with terms of endearment winning. I am uh, certainly. You know, this film was wedged in between Gandhi and Amadeus, and then after Amadeus was out of Africa, like this was the decade of of like big kind of epic quote unquote important movies. Yeah. Um, and so for this little family drama to win, I think is very exciting and I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah. So, um, so looking at some other notable 1983 releases, I don't consider 83 to be that good of a movie year. Um, yeah, there's actually fewer here than, than we usually have to talk about, but yeah, when we get to 82, you'll, you'll see what I mean. There's only a handful that I think are, really great um a, Chris, a christmas story seen. has obviously uh yeah. uh uh risen above the other yeah. movies of that year um but then there's also valley um, girl there's valley girl absolutely <laughs> but there's the king of comedy which is a <laughs> that's a great film. movie yeah monty python's the meaning of life which is that's probably my one. favorite monty python film merry christmas mr lawrence is pretty good i saw that recently as did i i saw it with you and i thought it was merely fine really yeah I liked it. National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, yeah. Risky Business. There <laughs> yeah. were two Tom Cruise movies, Risky Business and All the Right Moves. And it's, oh, wow. I think everyone agrees that this is the year that he became a movie star. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Scarface, uh, Brian De Palma's Scarface, I which I don't like. I don't like that much. No. Um, I like the original a lot more. I like How- Howard Hawks. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It's become something, I think, bigger than what it is. Like, Yes. Which I think I think hurts the movie a little bit. Uh but at the same time it doesn't like you watch it and you're like, Oh, this is it. It's kinda like it's kinda pulpy. Yeah. And and not on purpose. <laughs> when I lived in Chicago, uh and the the blockbuster where I worked, a lot of uh customers would come in with like Scarface shirts and, mm. and that sort of thing. And uh and I talked oh, and then one of the one of my coworkers did uh one day on his, on his day off and I said let me ask you something. I've seen Scarface. I said, what, what is the appeal there? And he's like, you know, it's about, he's like, it's about a guy who just, you know, he does things his own way. I was like, yeah, but then he gets destroyed at the end Nothing. and he ruins his life and everything he touches. How is this a good thing? Um, I don't know. It's uh, it's something that fascinates me. It's I don't love of, Scarface. Yeah. It's, it's, people like to have an image of him as a certain person. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way about Che Guevara. Oh, I sure. feel like, you, if you're wearing that shirt, then either you don't know everything about him and don't care, or I probably disagree with you every, about but everything very, you believe. At the very least, Chase stood for a cause. That's true. Scarface That's true. was the most, arguably one of the most selfish, selfish characters yeah. in film history. Um, uh, like I can, if, I can even go like uh, I, I can buy The Godfather a lot more, like oh, John sure. Corleone shirts or yeah. or. Uh, or uh, you know Michael Corleone, even though they're bad characters, yeah, they're they're the heroes in a way of that world. They're anti heroes, especially they're, the first movie. Yeah, and they're trying to. Uh, yeah, I'm not defending them, but like mm. they're trying to cling to a certain code of ethics within right. what they do. Right. Tony Montana is constantly going to do whatever own, he wants to yeah, do. Uh, and by the way, what ethics. he wants to do is a mountain of cocaine. <laughs> um, and, moving and on, he shall have it. 
Yeah, uh, mission accomplished on that, by the way. Uh, Return of the Jedi. Oh, there it is. Best movie of the year. 83. Really? <laughs> so, okay, so you're, uh, okay, we, we haven't gone super long. Uh, 30 minutes, unfortunately. Um, so you're a Star Wars guy. Mm-hmm. Now, I grew up watching all three over and over again, and I loved them. And, and then as I got older, you know, you hear movie people and Star Wars people specifically talking about Return of the Jedi as like, they say like, oh, it's like the beginning of the end. And they always bring up the Ewoks, and I get mm-hmm. that. Uh, the Ewoks didn't bother me when I was a kid. Certainly not. I was a kid. Yeah. They don't really bother me now. They don't bother me, no. Except that maybe they're a little bit too formidable against the Empire. I, yeah, That's, I will give it that, that they, yeah. they seem to a little bit easily be able to yeah. uh, take that. But they have, the, they have a lot of people there to help them, too. It's not just them. Yeah, and to me, I'll say... As a kid, if you were to ask me, like, hey, which which is your favorite film? I would have said Return of the Jedi. And then if I'm being honest, I would have said, oh, the first 20 minutes Return of the Jedi. <laughs> like Jabba's Palace, the Rancor, the Sarlacc Pit. That was everything that's, that's I great. wanted. Yeah. Um, but so do you, so when you think of Return of the Jedi, you still view it fondly. I do, yeah. Not like well, a precursor to Jar Jar Binks or something. No, and it's definitely not a precursor to Jar Jar Binks. It's... it's uh you know, in, in any world where you're going to try and do something sci-fi like that, you often have to create aliens. And I feel like Star Wars was always very creative about the way that they did it, at least in the first ones. I, I think Jar Jar Binks is one of the less creative ways sure. to do an alien. I think that's one of the reasons people hate him so much. Um, but, like, Ewoks, in, you know, little people in suits, that that yeah. works. And, and it's kind of a, you know, and they do a pretty good job of showing, like, oh, this is an it's an entire primitive culture. It's not just Jar Jar, Brin- Jar Jar Binks walking around yeah. uh, in our culture. And But then I guess you see the Gungans or whatever they're called mm-hmm. under the water. Oh, <laughs> never mind. But, like, people say the same thing about Jabba's palace being just a bunch of Muppets. And I'm like, Jabba looks more realistic than a lot of stuff that you'll find in today's movies. That Rancor, which is, you know, in actuality, a foot high, foot yeah. and a half high. I completely buy it, oh, yeah. 100%. I yeah. believe that that thing is about to eat Luke Skywalker. Yeah, and they use, like, the dark and the shadows in that really yeah. well, like... But then, and then they contrast that with, like, the bright sun of the Sarlacc pit yeah. and all that. Yeah, there's a lot to like in that I, movie. I think that that's one of the things that's great about those first three movies is they really know how to use... Uh, in terms of special effects, they use the models so well. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like they use models maybe better than any other film ever did. Hmm. That's yeah, a, probably. That's a, that, I mean, that's a big claim, but that's there's a reason that no one else could make sci-fi that looked like this around that time, and everyone tried to. Because it's actually, it's not done in a self-conscious way, which I know sounds weird. They don't want you to marvel at the models. They no. want you to be scared of the Rancor yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and it's the same thing with like with the ships and the way they use the yeah. camera moving past the ships instead of the the, the, the models moving towards the camera. And yeah. there's just a lot of really innovative stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm... We don't have time for this, but I will I'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, got excited about that Star Wars teaser. I When you see, and they know, they knew the, the image to start with. Mm. That crashed Star Destroyer. That was super cool. That got me. <laughs> because it's such a perfect image of the world that we're in now. Yeah. That these things which were virtually indestructible, and there's one just crashed... And it's crashed a while back. And, yeah. I don't know. It In looked decay. like... Yeah. Yeah. So stuff like that. And yeah. and even though I didn't find, like, the last shot of the trailer to be particularly, like, mm-hmm. awe-inspiring, the kid in me was like, 
there's Han Solo and Chewie. <laughs> and yeah, he looks older. And I think Harrison yeah. Ford's going to have to work pretty hard to tap into the same energy that he did before. Th- and even though Han is older, uh-huh. like he still has to have a certain attitude and a certain outlook that I don't know if Harrison Ford has played in a while. Yeah. And I can see like, I mean, he is supposed to be older now. So I, yeah. I feel like if the movie is smart about it, they'll... Thing. I mean, he probably would turn into a crotchety old man. Why wouldn't yeah. he? Like that character would be that guy. So, yeah. but still, with crotchety, I'm fine as long as there's more energy than I've seen from Harrison Ford in the last few years. Yeah, I, I, I have questions about how much they're going to put him in it, and I, I feel like they're probably going to kill him off. Oh, you think so? Movie. I think they'll kill him off. Oh, in this movie. that'll bum me out. Yeah, I know. I don't want him to die. Han, Han Solo doesn't die. Han Solo kills. He shoots first. <laughs> uh, so we will move on, uh, and I will say, so looking at the other 83 releases, like, there's really nothing that jumps out at me as like, oh, clearly that's the best picture of the year. Um, I love Meaning of Life. I love The King of Comedy. Trading Places talk- is a really good comedy. Trading Places is a great comedy. I like that one a lot. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of endearment, I, I'm, 1983, I think they got it right. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of okay with that. I'm perfectly fine with it. So, so. Uh, and of course, as uh, I don't really need to ask this question, but I will anyway. If somebody said, "Hey, I was thinking of watching Terms of Endearment," what would you say? Um, I f- I feel like that's a tempered one. It's like if you don't enjoy uh, slower period pieces, then not period pieces. Sorry, character pieces. Yeah, uh, then you probably won't like it. And um, you know what? I think I'd probably say go ahead and watch it because it's not remarkably offensive. And also, it is funny. Like, there are a lot of yeah. funny moments in it. Yeah. And so, uh, and I James don't... L. Brooks is usually pretty good with that mix yeah. of uh, comedy and drama. Yeah. I don't think this compares to um, Broadcast News. Mm-hmm. I think I prefer I like that one News more. Better, yeah. But uh, but it's still quite, quite a film, and so I was very happy that the Academy picked it for Best Picture. Yeah. And uh, I recommend that you guys go and watch it if you haven't, because uh, I think our audience would probably enjoy it. Yeah. And so the one other thing that I wanted to say about this year is uh, this officially marks, for me, next one will be for you, but uh, every movie now before this that we talk about is a movie that came out before I did. So uh, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm that's a landmark. I'm one year older than you? Yeah, you're, you're born oh, okay. in 82, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So the rest of these movies, for all I know, they may yeah. not have ever actually existed, and it's all a big construct for, for my benefit. Whoa, okay. <laughs> That's, yeah, the world was blinked into existence. Yeah. May something, 1983. For all I know. So, um, what's your birthday again? 22nd. Josh at morethanonelesson.com, May 22nd, sent him a bunch of emails saying, <laughs> happy birthday. And uh, don't forget to really clog that Twitter feed of his as well. That would be great. That's at the Josh Long, by the way. Sure is. So, okay, uh, thank you all for listening. We'll get you next time. Yeah.